0: Welcome to the Oak Tree Institute Podcast, the podcast designed to serve nonprofit and community leaders. Saikh, everybody, welcome to another episode of, of the Oak Tree Institute Podcast. Uh, we're really excited and happy to have a really amazing guest today, uh, Imam Khaled Latif from uh, at New York University, the Islamic Center of New York University. Um, a dedicated servant of the community for many, many years. Um, alhamdulillah, a public speaker and uh, a main figure in the Muslim community across the nation. Um, very excited to have you, Imam Khaled Barakul Afiq.
1: Assalamu alaikum Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, our, our, truly our pleasure. And uh, I know it's, it's crazy times and, and um, uh, definitely weird, weird times. Particularly, I know y'all, y'all just started uh, your, your semester at the IC and and the unique style of way the ways that y'all are doing your programs this year. Um, how are things going? How are things going with you and 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 the work at uh, ICNYU and and everything?
1: Yeah, man. You picked up a y'all in your in your talk, by the way, from maybe your time in Dallas. I'm not, I know you didn't get that from New York City when you lived out here. <laughs>
0: definitely, definitely, definitely picked that up in Dallas. It, it it is more inclusive, you know, in in saying and using, but um yeah definitely a sudden twist on the you all um yeah. how, how, how are you all doing
1: things are good alhamdulillah you know we're i mean we're dealing with a lot the way many people in the country are uh new york city was a really tough place to be in um especially going into april and may uh if you come here now and you had been here then it's like two different worlds uh there's still so much that's taking place, though, the consequences of a lot of poor policy governmentally, um, people still without health care, no jobs, uh, businesses are closing everywhere, um, rent is coming to be due. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity to really help a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And I think trickling it down to the individual experience, um, you know, you see people have adapted, but at the same time, Uh, there's still a concern and I think a real longing to understand well when will this come to pass and how is it that we can ensure that we're doing right now what we can as a community uh, to preemptively meet people's needs um, that we know will be forthcoming down the line inshallah.
0: Yeah I love that thought. I guess um Maybe we'll we'll dive right into that. I, you you brought it up really well. How have you um, you know leading the the Islamic Center at NYU? How are you uh, thinking about uh, you know how you're trying to serve the community nowadays? Like I I know everybody's going through this challenge, and and I think you've probably seen this. I've seen this as well. Is people are struggling in how to figure this out, right? How do we create the brotherhood and sisterhood? How do we make sure? we're caring and, and, and connecting with people. Like it, it's such a weird time. So how are y'all navigating that? Like, what are you doing with the team and how are you trying to navigate that with your leadership uh, on, on uh, at NYU?
1: We had the onset of COVID, if we use that as kind of the catalyst for a lot of this, I mean, we had immediately shifted to a virtual program that allowed for us to engage our community more broadly. I think what I was seeing was a lot of religious communities, not just Muslim community, but, you know, churches, synagogues, temples. Uh, There's a lot of media taking place. And um, myself, members of our staff, we were participating. There were so many people who were associated with religious communities that their talking points were all about how certain things couldn't happen. You know, you couldn't attend congregational prayers or you can go to certain services, but the focus is on, you know, what's not there. And right from the beginning, I had people in our community in New York City, uh, people from different parts of the country reach out saying, you know, my father lost his job. I've lost my job. I don't know how we're going to pay our rent. We don't have health care. Like, how can we not go to work? Even though this virus is out there, we only get paid if we do go to work. And so the approach that we sought to take was to see what we could do to remedy the situation, to try to be adaptable as an institution so that individuals could still meet what they were meeting in whatever space they were in. But we could create a, a broader space of engagement um, that allowed for them to still participate and have needs met within the circumstances that we found ourselves in. Um, so. We launched series of like fundraising campaigns to help people who are financially impacted. Our first one, uh, we raised um, funds with Penny Appeal USA and Celebrate Mercy. Uh, It was a national fund that I think hit about $650,000 in like a week or so. Um, And we were just sending micro grants, rapid response um, to people who were in need. We had a team of caseworkers that were looking at applications um, and we're giving people anywhere from $500 to $2,500. Uh, because people had no money. And this was when the government was still trying to figure out stimulus packages. Um, we then started to see like a lot of illness and ailment in New York City. And the funeral homes were really overwhelmed. So we had a fund that we launched that in two days raised about, I think, 200 some thousand dollars in addition to some other funds that had been launched doing similar work to help increase capacity, buy vehicles, um, ensure that there was proper burial. So people are doing some sick things, man. Like we had, you know, a typical funeral would cost 1500 to $2,000, give or take, you know, with all the janaza procedures, the burial ground purchase. And there was people who were coming to us who already don't have any money and they've now lost their job and their source of income. And they're saying, you know, we're being told we are gonna be charged $8,000, $10,000, like a you know, surge in pricing to take advantage of people in a moment of need. And these are people, many of them, because of the restrictions, they wouldn't have even been able to likely see their loved one in their last hours of life because they couldn't go into the hospital, let alone not go to the Janaza prayer itself. There's already like a lot of isolation and you know loneliness that's there. And then we raised some more funds um, going into Ramadan One was for New Yorkers in specific, um, where we raised almost a million dollars to give these rapid cash grants to people, because the twelve hundred dollars stimulus check wasn't really going to work in New York City for people. And then we had another one that was for survivors of domestic violence, where in COVID there was an uptick in the amount of um, abuse that was taking place. People were now confined with their abusers altogether. Um, In a few months, alhamdulillah, we raised about two and a half million dollars as a university-based Muslim institution. But it wasn't like one person giving a million-dollar check. You know, we probably had like 40,000 donors, you know, contributing to these things. Everybody felt like the dollar they gave, the $10 they gave, could all make a difference as a collective only through their individual participation. Uh, And I think it helps people to feel as if they're involved and still able to be a part of like a healing process Um, and then we tapped into our community's talents and resources Um, so it wasn't just our staff you know myself sheikh saheb Webb, um sheikh aisha prime sheikh are doing programs but we said you know who can present on anything and so people were presenting on you know workshops um on how to write a resume you know how to financially invest how to create a website You know, artists were doing, um, you know, art workshops as a means of healing. We had people doing children's story time, uh, yoga, you know, for sisters um, during lunch hours, things across the board that catered to the diversity of our programming. And as we went through the summer, you know, adapting it to Ramadan, to other things, um, and letting people still feel as if they had an access point through a model that had multiple entry points to it, it still met them where they were rather than kind of saying, here's the only kind of way that you could, you could do it.
0: Uh, I, I truly love that. And uh, may Allah bless you and reward you. I mean, I, I, I saw some of those campaigns, particularly the ones around domestic violence, the ones around um, the feed the, the burial, uh, the, the, the Islamic burial situation, in New York got uh, very, very difficult. I, and I know, uh, I know we, we know some of the organizations that do some work there, um, yeah, and, and I, 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 uh, I, it's, it's just, so, it's so amazing how y'all are so thoughtful about uh, every, so many different segments of the community served. serve. I mean, I, I think people don't know, like, you don't really actually serve just NYU. You're really serving almost all of Lower Manhattan, almost in a sense, right? Because really, like, there's not a lot of dynamic organizations doing, you know, the community work needed there. Um, so how, how do you um, maybe like as as like if I were to pick your your mind a little bit if you don't if you don't if you don't mind um, why how how do you how do you develop programming? Uh, it's so intentional at ICNYU like you y'all are always really thinking about different demographics how you serve them leveraging people leveraging resources to them. Um, how, you know, how did you come to that? I mean, I know you've been doing this for so many years, but why is that like a drive for y'all and, and a, you know, with your leadership as an organization?
1: Well, I mean, when you when you have access to like talent, I mean, what what becomes the reason as to why you wouldn't engage that talent? And so much of our spiritual tradition outlines at a foundational level things that we wrestle against day to day you have to wrestle against like your nafs, right ego is like a very real thing and it's not in a vacuum we live in a society that has this modern day shirk that supremacy that idolizes the self you know it doesn't know how to deal with mortality it you know says the primordial state of existence is one that is rooted in egocentricity it's very different from what our religion calls towards uh but When you're now in a space where you can recognize with confidence and gratitude, alhamdulillah, like strengths that Allah has endowed you with, as well as non-strengths, areas of improvement, and there's gaps that are there, you bring in people and you empower them through what it is that they inherently are good at and let them feel connected to their creator through that, right? The Prophet, his unique person was such that he could see what was good in the people around him and let them then see that also. Uh, And people are like so creative, man. They're so innovative. I think we, we tend to like think in negative frames and that's just a a product of human condition. Statistically, people think anywhere from 12,000 to 60,000, 70,000 thoughts a day. Like, you know, this better than I do given things that you've studied and things, you know, and our thoughts tend to exist. 80% 80% of them in like negative thoughts We're like inclined towards seeing through a prism. And then those get compounded because, you know, 90, 95% of our thoughts are replay thoughts. Like we think, and then we think it negatively over and over and over. And so you see Muslims kind of defining things in terms of what's lacking, what's inadequate. And you have like so much that's right there in front of you that you don't have to go and look for it elsewhere. Um, And I feel like being able to then leverage that in a way that bleeds into like other projects and programs, um, it just makes sense to do at the end of the day. We serve, you know, a a student-based community, like you were saying, Um, there's about 3000 Muslim students at NYU, but maybe like eight years ago, we made an active decision to open our, space and programs to people who live and work in the area. So inclusive of faculty and alumni and staff of NYU, but also a lot of people who have no direct affiliation. And we estimate we serve about 10,000 people now. And before COVID, that number was growing every year. I don't know like what it would be right now, because we don't have a metric of assessment on that um, at this point, but it's still like a fairly large number and our reach is there, alhamdulillah. we're trying to ensure that, like that healthy, thriving community, doesn't adopt like this sense of individualism, or this kind of one-man-show syndrome, that has institutions run off of people that are present rather than than processes. And creating this like professional volunteer base, I think, is like a key element of a successful institution.
0: Yes, I I, I love that, and I actually I love that you brought that up. I. I think, you know, you know, you go to a lot of places and I know you travel a lot of, and you don't really, you can go to a lot of uh, MSAs or even chaplains that are, you know, on large organ in large institutions, or, you know, large community centers or masjids that have hundreds of thousands, you know, thousands of people, but you don't get that community vibe. I think ICNYU is so unique in that dynamic. So if you can you know if we could take a step back and if you were to look about the, the journey at uh, you know your journey at icnyu which started almost over a decade ago right you've, you've been at icny for over a decade it didn't i don't think it started off like that right like how did how did you um how did you think about this strategically and how did you build it like what have you learned throughout the journey of you know right now being like uh, i think one of the top communities I think it's, yeah, people assume that you're student-based, but like, like you mentioned, but like y'all serve like such an amazing array of diverse levels of, of people and, and, you know, uh, and members of a community in that lower New York area. Uh, how did, how, what did you learn from that journey in building the IC? I
1: mean, when I started, I was 22 um, and I was in 2005 you know, and what I thought it was going to be when I came in was very different from what it actually was. Uh, right from the onset, um, you know, what I conceptualize as like giving khutbas and like different like halakas. Um, it was really clear people just were looking also for space to self-express and for someone to talk to. And the spectrum of things that people were bringing as lived realities It was not something that, you know, I had thought would have been there, especially at that level of prevalence uh, and that level of consistency from unique individuals. Uh, I think in my own personal trajectory, um, alhamdulillah, like I never had a challenge um, growing up with my religious identity um, being the cause of marginalization As like, as I've gotten older, you know, there's been like discrimination issues and things like that, but um, I didn't go to school with a lot of Muslims growing up. I didn't have a lot of Muslim friends, uh, but I still straddled multiple spheres of my identity. And I think similar to many people's like life journeys, um, you know, there was a certain sense of like exploration that I just didn't find uh, that yielded um, a lot of kind of isolation even where i was surrounded by people um and i think from the onset like the community um ethos was one that i just didn't want anybody to feel like they had to be alone um institutionally when i was now trying to figure out well, what are we doing here i didn't have like a precedent to build off of because you know what i was learning you know from the standpoint of religion and spirituality Um, wasn't equipping me to like manage a nonprofit institution or build something from the ground up. There was no precedent to follow um, in terms of other people that were doing this at that point in time. So I looked at counterpart institutions of different minority communities and centers. And I, you know, for some part of it, just went and sat in their facilities and saw how they functioned. You know, what were the things they were doing? What were the things they weren't doing? Uh, I then looked to see what were key partnerships that we could create with institutions um, on our campus as well as off campus. Uh, One thing that I think was a catalyst for a lot of our centers, professional institutionalization um, had to do with space at NYU. And uh, we used to have a facility in a student center that existed called the Loeb Student Center, which every student group had a space that they could use for office space. There's like a food court and a game room. And back then NYU didn't have that many student clubs. And the Islamic Center, whose institutional memory is rooted in a student group founded in 1978 by five Muslim students at NYU um, was much smaller. They had a space in that building Jummah prayers would take place in that room. They'd get like 20, 25 people. We now comparatively have Jummah in three locations. Our largest one gets about 800 people. Um, The other get like 50 to 100 consistently. And most people aren't even here on Fridays. But um, when that building went down and a new building was being constructed, the university built out swing space in the surrounding area. And uh, we were leasing a room as a university um, in a local church that on its second floor, there was a small space that Muslim students used for prayer. And when the new building went up as a student university center, our assumption was we would just have a space to pray in that room and that building. And when I went to talk to the university administration about it um, as an undergrad at NYU, uh, they said, we didn't even know you existed. And even if we did, um, historically, we don't support religious community. Now, why this was a challenge was uh, in the four years that that building was going up, you had like certain geopolitical realities take place. You know, the September 11th attacks, the second intifada, you know, all different kind of things happening. As students, we had like engaged media from all over the world. You know, there was different movements and things. Um, and when I heard this, it made me wonder how it's possible that we were doing all of this, but the very like institution we were part of has never felt our impact, right? And it, it made me think of like um, the story of Abu Bakr radiallahu an where he seeks permission to make hijrah from the Prophet salam, and then a non-Muslim um, you know, noble by the name of Ibn al says to him, like, you can't leave because if people like you leave, our city will, um, you know, our, our people will start to suffer. You bring like benefit to it, essentially, right? Paraphrase, it's a longer story. Um, and he's basically saying that Abu Bakr's presence brings benefit to the community and his absence is felt as much as his presence. And I said, well, we got to build a community like that, that... It's not just about impacting Muslims, but if we weren't here, everybody would say, like, we can't let these people go, they make us better. And so those strategic collaborations and partnerships built out with like The mental health center, you know, and wellness center built out with the fundraising and development office, the press office, you know, the various agencies on campus that made sense for us to start to amplify our voice. And, you know, ensure that the narrative and perception that we were creating on a branding level made sense. I then also had to yield to the fact that there's just a lot of things I had no idea what I was doing. But I'm at a university that's full of like experts in all kinds of fields. So all I started to do was like reach out to people and say, you know, I have some questions. Can I ask you? And they would like entertain me and give me meetings. And I'd ask whatever I want to try to learn things. I started to audit classes and like fundraising, you know, with different um, senior leadership from the university, which allowed for me to not just learn about things that i would never studied, but also build relationships with these key individuals who were in leadership positions at the university. Then we started to think out, you know, different ways of um, marketing and kind of, you know, making decisions like, do we open up our space to people who are not affiliated with NYU? Do we, you know, not open it up and you know implementing a strategy that makes sense. We were this summer supposed to do now a revisioning of the next 10 years um, that says where we've now grown, alhamdulillah, you know, requires more input from different stakeholders. So what would the next 10 years look like with COVID? Um, we had to postpone that and likely we'll push it, inshallah, to next summer. But to say, what are social services we want to build out? What are civic engagement projects? You know, what are um, different ventures we can engage in to really enhance and um, leverage what it is that we see as a, as a potential opportunity and not be content with like where it's at, but, you know, build and build and build so that, you know, we're, we're, we're doing what we have the ability to do. And that's just the reason that we want to do it because like it can be done and no one's going to build for us, you know, what we have to build for ourselves, if if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, and I really appreciate you sharing that. I mean, it was wonderful and very insightful in terms of like the, you know, the, the process. I, I don't think people realize, mashallah, I mean, almost going on, a, a, I guess, a decade and a half, like. It, it's so long. It takes it's so long to build a dynamic community that's serving all the different components, right? It's, uh, as you mentioned, like it's, it's 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 a it's a huge grind. Um, and Michelle, you've been very uh, persistent and resilient throughout. Um, so you highlighted three areas. I think I want to note. The first of them was, you know, this eagerness first and foremost to identify quickly how you can serve the community and like kind of get a gauge on that. The second was, and, and repeating some of the, the, the key lessons, is you really built bridges, right? You try to connect with so many different partners, and you still do, and, and, and those that don't know you from the New York area, you are tremendously connected with government and, and with organizations and, and all kinds of different people. And I think that that's really crucial for, you know, how you leverage and how you impact the community, as you mentioned, like the sort of Bakr, wonderful example. And then the third was that you were very astute or, I mean, you had the curiosity to go out and try to learn uh, as you mentioned, and Mashallah, I mean, now you're, you're teaching at the school. So how how is that? So the, from those three things, like what what are the, so these are challenges, as, as you know, many, many different places, many different communities. They just simply don't get to the point of doing like these basic fundamental things. What have you seen, like you, you, were, you plowed through that, right? Any of those obstacles. Why do other community leaders within, like I, I know you see it at a bigger lens. Why is that something that not enough community centers or organizations, why is that something we're not doing enough um, as, a, as a community, as an organization?
1: I, I think people are, Michelle. right? I mean, I think there's a value to, what has been created over centuries right islam has been here for a long time right 30 percent of slaves that came were muslim and the deep legacy of islam and black experience in the united states um is often neglected but is present i think where you have then immigrant experience that has established numerous institutions that then lend towards the development of other institutions um, one of the things that i think is a problem is that we identify things too much in terms of problems and we see things through the prism of challenges and put in our talent to like reacting to challenges often rhetorically as opposed to amplifying and highlighting you know the successes of certain things right like you have like health clinics that are built throughout the country you have endowment vehicles that are built throughout the country you have major relief agencies that are functioning both domestically and internationally. You have individuals who are, you know, leaders at every level, local, state and national. Uh, you can look at things like the OMA Free Clinic, you know, you can look at Iman on the south side of Chicago. Rami Nashashibi, I think, is an amazing person who encapsulates probably examples of leadership that are remarkable. Uh, And it's not that awards and accolades like are what make him who he is, but he was awarded like as a MacArthur genius, um, you know, I think two years ago, you're, you know, everything's a blur because of COVID, but uh, there's people that are like that. And I think their stories and their experiences and their best practices are not leveraged because the challenge is that we focus and identify one challenges not in the prism of opportunity as something that you can overcome, but as like a stop. You know, we're saying this is where something is a bad or wrong, and we see it then in absolute prisms. We don't highlight stories that are real, that are also of success and gain and can give people something to aspire towards. I went to Seattle. Um, my wife and I, before our son was born, uh, our daughter um, was born then we uh, had gone on a cruise to Alaska from Seattle. And we had a night where we, um, we flew in the day before so daughter was pretty young and I'd reached out to some people who had spoken at their communities there and um, said, you know, could anybody grab us from the airport? Mashallah, like really beautiful people, you know, they, um, set up like a dinner for us at like their home and we're very welcoming and over dinner um one of the brothers said can i ask you a question i said yeah and he said you know we are setting up a youth camp um that you know i'd love to get some feedback from you and i said sure and he started to tell me what it was about and you know all of the topics he wanted to cover were about like the problems with this and the challenges with this and not fitting in and you know, identity issues, but everything was rooted in an issue. And he said, what do you think? And I said, I think people are going to be miserable. And he said, what do you mean? I was like, look, man, I'm sitting with you all here. and You all are like amazing people. Like I called you to get a ride from the airport to our hotel and you all went above and beyond. L- literally like one of the sisters that was there whose house we were in and her husband had like hosted us for dinner she had read on a facebook post i made like years ago that uh, you know i was looking for some uh halal version of lucky charms the cereal um in uh the gulf when i was there and she had made me a box of lucky charms by taking halal marshmallows dyeing them cutting them out and putting it in like a box that you know resembled this thing. And I was like, this is like you're going above and beyond. I was like, this is Hsan, right? You like turned a car ride that was 30 minutes into like an entire day and a half of just hospitality. I was like, tell them why you are the way that you are. Give them aspirational examples that are not intangible. You know, the engagement is not one that's beyond accessibility, but most can write off that they're not going to be like the sheikh or the scholar that's on the YouTube video, but they want to be successful as Muslims and work in graphic design and work in finance and entrepreneur, you know, tell them like what makes you, you give them stories of encouragement. And you said, we never think about it that way. It's like, well, you're just passing on what was given to you and you can only give to somebody what you possess in the first place. So if somebody has taught you to look, and what's not there, and in that negative prism, like if shaitan can get you to do this much good when you have the ability to do this much good, he's going to get you to do this. You might not be doing anything wrong, but he doesn't want to see you benefit. And there's a subtlety to uh, to, to like that perspective and that image. And I, I think like that's where our tradition affords us so much because we're then seeing things through core beliefs that we don't even know that we have that are now making reality what we perceive it to be because our hearts and our mind don't perceive reality on their own. We tell them what we think is true. And if we think everything's terrible, then we're going to say everything's terrible, but then people will start thinking everything's terrible. And if we can create balance to it, you know, as much as hopelessness is an ailment of the heart, so is excessive hope. Like we can be in a place though, where, We can still give people encouragement right like you're an amazing person like people should be learning from you as to why you do what you do and you can embrace that within yourself as like alhamdulillah like in a time when people are so selfish like it's not even that people put themselves ahead of people but there's nobody even behind them so it's not that they're first and somebody else's second or there's no second or third it's just me and my needs like if god endows you with a capacity to want to do for someone else like that's something to embrace as a natma and to then say like why do i do this what brings me to it how do i inculcate within you lessons that allow for you to err on the end of positivity and see that success can be harnessed and there's things that and then the other gain from this is that you don't have to start from scratch. The minute you can admit that somebody knows what they're doing and they're doing it well, you take from their best practices and you build upon it and you grow from it, you know, and you start to then see it. And even if it's not contemporarily, which there's no shortage of Muslims that are doing amazing things, especially on localized levels. You know, this is why we have books. This is why we have texts. We like take people's ideas and opinions who have like shared them for our benefit so we can build upon what what's there. You see what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I love it. No, I I, I really appreciate the optimism. I mean, I mean, I think um, you beautifully articulated that. Like there, there's, um, and I know you alluded to it earlier about this hyper focus around all the problems that can be, rather than all the opportunity and growth and amazing blessings and good that we have, either at an individual level or even at a in a societal level. Like, the, there's so much good that's being done at, a, at an ummah level. Uh, so much good being done. And I, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And that's that's tremendously, that shows us a lot about kind of your, uh, your demeanor, your character, the way you're seeing things. And I think that's, uh, you know, so essentially important. Um, tell us how, how did, so, you know, how did Khalid get to being Khalid? Like, how did, how did Imam Khalid get here? Uh, what was, what's the you know what was your journey how was no i think a lot of times and i i really you know uh, i mean i'm i'm in, I'm, in, I'm in community work, you're in community work, we've been doing it for a long time. we see a lot of times like it's it's difficult to stay in for the long haul um at a career level for sure, but even like in terms of volunteering and being there um what how how what's driven you like how uh, what's caused you? Maybe a little bit about yourself that caused you to be so motivated to really serve the community in the capacity that you have. And what do you tell others that are, you know, millennials, Gen Z? You know, what are they? The expectation that they should have coming into community work—the uh, good. I, I want to be positive. The good and the challenges, and and like how they should navigate that. If they, uh, I don't think we have enough servant leaders like yourself in our community. Uh, I think we we need more. Maybe we have some, but I think we always need more. And so tell us a little bit about your journey and what others can learn from that grind of, of many years of, of, of servant leadership.
1: Yeah, well, I think servant leadership is an important model to understand because you have historically a shift where the the leader was in this like service-based mode and wasn't seen as like, the top of the chain. And when you move into this more like Machiavellian understanding of leadership, that now centers like the CEO centers, you know, the one person in charge, and they now become a manifestation of ego, um, that's not service based, but is self serving, it problematizes things. In a God centric worldview, you can't have like, that absence of service based leadership. Um, I had a teacher who told me early on, you know, that the most successful Muslim communities are the ones that know um, where like their leaders live, right. And before I got married, um, I didn't even lock the door to my apartment, people would just come, you know, they would hang out. Uh, one of the things I love about our community is, um, you know, there is that like sense of accessibility that even with our staff, I tell them like, that's like what, what makes it and breaks it, that there's not separation between the people we serve and the people who are doing the service. Uh, it can be a lot. And, you know, in my own personal journey, um, I worked at the IC probably for about, I want to say almost 10 years on my own, because we fundraise everything that we spend. I'm trying to figure some of these things out. Um, it was tough. Uh, to say the least, I think if I wasn't at the phase of life that I was in at that time, it would probably make it a little bit harder, um, in terms of like, just not like making any money and, you know, challenges that were there, but no one had taught me self care also. And I came out of a place where I was coasting. Um, I was supposed to play sports in college, uh, in high school in my senior year. I had an injury that stopped recruiting but prior to that i was working out like three times a day i had my own trainer and so going into um now five six years later when i'm starting to work and i'm getting pulled in different directions and trying to figure out what works what doesn't work my self-care is non-existent but i'm coasting off of just what i built of physical wellness and that started to diminish going into the latter part of my 20s Uh, I was starting to get sick quite often. My weight would fluctuate a lot. I'd get very heavy. I'd get very light. Um, You know, there were some uh, Ramadans where I was losing like crazy weight. I'd lose more than 20 pounds and I'm not a big guy. Um, Some, you know, by the end of it, I was losing more than a pound a day. And it's not healthy. When I was 28, um, almost 29, I got a sickness called shingles. And shingles... Uh, You know, If you've ever known someone who has it, it's usually like elderly people who get it. If you have the chicken pox, the virus lives in your system and when you get to a low point of immunity and high level of stress, it reactivates as piercing blisters on a nerve track. And I had it from the middle of my torso to my back. Uh, When I went to the doctor, the doctor said, it's going to feel like somebody is rubbing a hot iron on your body while they're stabbing you with a knife over and over because it's on your nerves. Even if your clothes move like this, it's enough to erupt your entire body in like painful sensation. I had to go into quarantine. Um, You know, I couldn't be like near my wife, you know, near like our child. Uh, I went to my parents' home and stayed there for about six weeks. And I remember getting an email from a young sister in our community who had written to me about uh, her Muslim boyfriend that morning grabbing her in a hallway and taking her and throwing her against a wall and she said had a security guard not come and intervened i don't know what would have happened and she was now asking for help and assistance not knowing how to navigate like this experience and i closed the laptop i still remember i went downstairs to where my mother was sitting and I put my head in her lap and I just started to cry. And it wasn't frustrating to me because I didn't know what to do for this young woman, but I couldn't take care of her because I wasn't taking care of me. And that burnout and exhaustion was in a place where I had another teacher who, you know, said to me when I was getting into this work, uh, that, you know, you're made for this, but just be ready is going to be super lonely. And I said, What does that even mean? You know, Um, but this idea of this burdensome responsibility that I have to be there for others, I can't let them be there for me, you know, not having deep relationships, not taking time for myself, my own self development, my physical, emotional, mental, spiritual wellness, those things can all add up. And they can be really, really tough. Um, And the elasticity of time you know, it's something that we don't recognize fully. And so there's always excuses as to why you don't do it. But then it catches up to you. And, you know, subhanAllah, you know, your body, your emotions, like they're data points, right? Like emotions are not good or bad things. Your reactions to them, you know, are indicative and can be good or bad. But it's telling you something, right? The way your stomach tells you it's hungry, your throat's going to tell you it's thirsty like your demeanor, your emotions, your body, it's going to tell you if you're doing right by it or not. And there's a long period of time that I wasn't doing right by it. And I had to learn like the hard way and to understand how does that like fit into the rest of this, that perspective is going to be then defined through a vision modifier. That is this exhaustion, this tiredness, you're going to see what is potential and possible and what you believe can be malleable or change what you aspire towards not based off of what's going on outside of you but in large part what's going on within you and if in you you have exhaustion and bitterness and animosity and irreconciled emotion and pain then like why wouldn't the world look like everything's terrible and there's terrible things happening but the idea isn't to say everything is fine and dandy the idea is to say how do i become like a remedy of what's there and if i can't Like, how do I bring in other people to help if that's within my capacity? But the exhaustion says nothing can change. Like, it's not possible. There's no use in even trying. Or it creates immediate uh, need for gratification that says we got to do this right now. It has to happen tonight. Versus, no, like, this can be taken care of in a week, in a month. You sit down, you plan, you strategize. We just, alhamdulillah, last week closed on a building um, that's going to be a domestic violence shelter in New York, uh, emergency confidential shelter for women and children who are survivors of abuse. The work that I do, I haven't gone like uh, a week, you know, in the last 15 years where at least one woman, if not upwards of a dozen have reached out with men in their life who have no idea what it means to be a man. And the resources, the services we want to provide are not just individual, but institutional. Prior to COVID, we had like a fundraising campaign, a nonprofit we started, and with the government shutdown last November and other stuff with COVID, there were slowdowns. But alhamdulillah, we were able to acquire this space that, you know, has a lot of amazing potential. It's the first in a series of these services. And uh when members of our community came to me and alums and others saying, you know, we want to do this, it was like a two year process before we even executed. I said, great, here's things I can help you with. Like we gotta figure out what we need to do. Six months, we like brainstormed on paper. And after that, we did a call for volunteers and others to fill gaps on skills and credentials and training that we just didn't have. We then built out a team. And then about a year later, we then started to announce things to the community more broadly try to have a fundraising campaign um, for the first project in this series of services. And so we're now about a year and a half out from the first conversation. And it's just been planning and execution at that point. We thought it would take us uh, six months to a year to raise $700,000 to renovate and acquire a building. And in a week and a half, we raised over a million dollars from 9,000 donors. Because its execution was rooted in like strategy. And, you know, there's, I think, baraka in it when you're in these places of like good beginnings and good intentions. And it's hard to do that when you're tired, right? To stay like motivated and have momentum that builds off of like the vision rather than like immediate gratification, like fueling you. And then again, you're doing like, good like this when you have the capacity to do it this way and so i tell people like you can't take care of other people's hearts if you're not taking care of your own you gotta sleep well eat well make sure your physical wellness your emotional wellness your mental wellness spiritual wellness you know something that's there and you have evolution to yourself right i got two kids now alhamdulillah that i love more than anything my son wakes up man like at five in the morning sometimes Fudger time is not like what it used to be. He's five years old. He jumps on my face, 5.30 in the morning. He whispers, Baba, it's me. I'm like, thanks, Kareem. I thought some other man was like in my bed all of a sudden. He wants to pray with us. He wants to jump around. I can get frustrated and get angry at a five-year-old for being five, or he's five. And I can just understand that in the evolution of my own self, I don't ever want to forego being a father or learning what I can only learn from my children in terms of my own development. So I have to say, it's not that this will never happen, but maybe where I find like solitude or silence that was in New York City at a time when nobody's up at five, six in the morning on the street and it's beautiful going to the mesjid for Fajr. I like turn that now into a later part of the day you know, and I can still gain because there's change and adaptation, right? And this is a hadith, the believer's state, you know, the Prophet wasalam, defines, we change 40 times in a day. The one who has no belief is the same for 40 years in a row. That's what you see when you get, I get resumes from people all the time. 10 years experience, 20 years experience, 30 years experience. And I'm like, no, man, you just live the same year over and over again, like 30 times. You're not like, you're not taking like change as a necessary component to like your own contentment. And if you're not feeling good inside and you feel terrible inside, then that's what things are going to look like for you when you're trying to figure out how to do things as a activist or a, you know, community leader or, or whatever other role you're in, you know?
0: I love that. I, I really appreciate that. First and foremost, I appreciate the vulnerability and the, the really honest, um, kind of perspective, like the the real challenges that we go through physically, emotionally, uh, as you mentioned, uh, even spiritually. And then, yeah, that, that self-care piece is so important, That uh, particularly when, yeah, you're always giving to others, uh, you're, whether you're an imam or you're whatever capacity can be, you know, so many people are always very, you know, we have tremendously selfless people that are always giving to others. And that sometimes, yeah, they, they don't get the time to refuel and re-energize, and um, it's a great point about just loving family being there, or uh, you know, working on yourself. And I really appreciate you sharing that. I, I think those are really important lessons for a lot of uh, people that are going to be hearing this. And um, I, I think that, that that level of vulnerability you shared is, is uh, very, um, very, uh, very relevant and um, very hopefully um, impactful for people that will learn from that. Um, like, look, I like to I like to end like I usually our usual sessions, and I know like we're, we're just a couple of minutes or so. Um, what is uh, I like to always ask every guest we bring on? Uh, what is the uh, you know kind of like the man? Maybe you can allude to something you already mentioned, but if you were to if you can if you had like a khutbah and you spoke to you know all the leaders at you know at least within within our within our community in our country, like if you had a khutbah in front of all the Muslim leaders in, in, in our community. Um, what's the one message you want to deliver to all? Like what's the one thing you would want uh, or one piece of advice or one lesson that you wish um, our leaders implemented or instituted um, or you know, some advice that you can give them if you have that opportunity?
1: I mean, so many things don't really come to mind to be honest, I I think like the few thoughts that do come to mind. I mean, one, I would say thank you to people. I think it can be a very thankless job. And uh, I don't think like we appreciate our leaders as much as they could be appreciated. And it's hard. Um, Everyone needs validation. And as much as we need people to look up to, sometimes we also need to be looked up to in a way where we feel affirmed. And you could be the most impactful person in the world if somebody's not telling you that you know they're grateful for you or that they love you um it becomes that much harder to do what you're doing uh, and can become very isolating um the other thing that i would say is they should take care of themselves as you know we already talked about a bit and third i would say um you know to ensure that we remember like we're helping people to, to know who God is to them And I think it's important to let people know That they can believe in a God that also believes in them And to help them see like what Allah sees in us Right, because you read the Quran, you read the Hadith You know, I remember like reading About the Prophet ﷺ And companions in such a way where in my own like spiritual journey and exploration like I said to myself like I want to believe in the God that he believes in that lets him like meet the world in the way that he does and that's not the God that like I believe in from what I'm hearing from different people and you know on the member and other things and it doesn't have to be watered down or anything but like how does he have like courage and like boldness and strength and like doesn't stop? Like you're saying, how do you keep going? 23 years, this man doesn't stop. And it's not that he just does his work and his mission. He's still smiling at people. Like he's still kind to people, you know, he still embodies like mercy. And that core belief that he has is not just rotely memorized, like books of theology. He, like, very clearly, Sallallahu alayhi wa believes in a God that is not just simply watching him, but watching over him. They can have him meet challenges and still define, like, himself in these positive values and virtues. And we don't want to take God away from people. You know, we want to kind of stay in our lane, know that we don't speak on behalf of God, but people will still shape their understanding of who the divine is based off of our interactions, our demeanor, the words that we choose to use and not to use. And it's a very important like thing. And I think ensuring that we complement the legalistic framework of our tradition with the ethical framework, giving people a sense of ideals and values that isn't like, go find your purpose. The Quran tells us like what our purpose is, and it's not just worshiping God. That's one thing, but it says so many other things about why we were made and why we were created, but everything goes back to Allah in our tradition. And if we can give people a sense of choosing to believe in a God that believes in them, like this is a time to do that so that they're not confined to this world in the sense that they see it as an ends, but a means to something, they're able to then just go try their best. And that would be the last thing I would say is that, you know, you got to have like self love and self forgiveness, so that you can accept mistakes that come from you as well as celebrate successes. Um, And so, you know, you want to be in a place where you're also like cultivating your relationship with Allah, and, you know, being able to admit and acknowledge where there's room for growth and development. And not in like a burdensome way, but in a way that's liberating. Because um, people ask me like all the time, man, like, what do you think about what's going on? And I just, you know, sometimes I want to be like, I, I'm so grateful that I have Islam and I have, you know, a belief that's not someone else's belief, but a belief that's in here that there's something that comes after this. And there's a place that, You know, things will be made sense of and I just got to do what, you know, I can do so that when I stand in front of my creator, you know, my 90 year old self, if I get to that point. What am I doing now so that when my 90 year old self looks back at me today, they'll be able to thank me for the things that I did when I'm standing in front of Allah, you know, I can stand as best as I can to say, Ya Rabbi, I tried to do what you wanted me to do Um, because it's, it's just dunya at the end of the day. and People want to fight over it. Let them fight over it, right? Like leave behind what you can because it's really going to be what's going to emphasize what you're taking with you. Um, and that's where I think that order is also important that if you're not hearing people say that they're grateful for what you do and the sacrifices that you've made, like we are grateful for you and we do appreciate the things that you do. And even if no one else is seeing it, Allah is seeing it and you need to see yourself in the way that he sees you so that you keep kind of doing the amazing things that you're doing inshallah and be that source of real light and illumination for people at a time where things just feel really heavy right now
0: i mean uh, beautifully said and i i really appreciate words i mean they they they, they touch me as um as just as much as uh, they would touch anybody and i ask God uh, to to bless you and um and bless your endeavors and and bless all the amazing work uh, you're doing, uh, tremendous work. And I see and around, around the country, I know you're, you're Hamda, I think you're happy not to be traveling too much and spending some, yeah, some yeah. time with the family. And, uh, so I, I'm sure you're really, uh, you're really happy with that as, as am I. Um, where can, where can people, so where can people connect with you? Where are, like, what, how can people connect with you support some of the work initiatives you're working on and uh, some of the things y'all are doing either at an individual level or, uh, at,
1: at an organizational level with IC? Yeah, I mean, I'm on like different social media platforms. I don't really like it so much, but I use it. I think there's positives and negatives. But if anybody, if I can ever help anyone with anything, I check all my own emails. Um, you can email me through our Islamic Center's website, icnyu.org, um, and, you know, I'm happy to help in whatever way that I can, inshallah. Uh, but, please don't hesitate in reaching out if there's things that, that I can I can be in touch with on um, to help
0: ahead and we'll leave all your your uh, yeah all of your social medias in, in the in the in the podcast notes and um, really really wonderful uh, connecting with with you I think so such a, such amazing insights on um, your journey some of the amazing work you're doing and uh, some really really valuable lessons for for myself um, and and everybody that will be listening to this T'Ala. Um, we want to thank you all for, for listening again to another episode of the Okshi Institute podcast. Uh, we hope that this was uh, beneficial to you and your journey to Allah Azza Jal and serving His creation. And, and we hope and pray that uh, Allah Azza accepts from us our good. Uh, and inshallah we hope to see you in our next episode. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Okshi Institute podcast. Please make sure to subscribe to be notified of our new episodes each week, and please leave us a rating. We would like to invite you to join our Facebook group we have called Servant Leaders. This group is exclusively for nonprofit leaders and organizers like yourself, and it's a growing community where we post helpful articles, videos, strategies, and tips that can take you and your organization to the next level. Check the show notes below for the link and join us today. Also, if you benefited from this episode, do us a favor, take a screenshot and post it on your social media channels and tag Oak Tree Institute. We thank you for listening and we hope that you'll listen to our next episode.